Hello, and welcome to Siren Coffee and Science, a series of conversations on hot topics in health and social care integration, brought to you by the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network at the University of California, San Francisco. Today's episode was originally recorded as a live web event and has been lightly edited for this podcast. Welcome to Siren Coffee and Science. I am Wiley Liu, and I am the Executive Director of the Center for Community Engagement at the University of California, San Francisco. Today's conversation is the second of six coffee and science events on topics related to alignment and advocacy, which refer to roles that healthcare can play to address social needs at the community level. I'm excited to talk today with Darlene Hightower, who is the Vice President for Community Health Equity at Rush University Medical Center. For the next half hour, Darlene and I will take a deep dive into the healthcare anchor model and explore ways Rush operationalizes its anchor strategy within the health equity mission. For those of you in this space, Rush has been held up as a gold standard, so I'm personally eager to learn more from Darlene. You have a very impressive background. Prior to Rush, you were the National VP of Programs for Public Allies. You serve as Chicago Community Trust Leadership Fellow. You were also a University of Chicago Civic Leadership Academy Fellow and an Administrative Law Judge for the Chicago Department of Human Relations. Not to mention, you were named a Culture of Health Leader Fellow with Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. You're trained as a lawyer. So tell us a bit how a lawyer, a JD, came to do community health equity work. So first of all, thank you for that. And um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this and or listening to it. You know, my background is very unconventional. Um, I have practiced law for over 25 years, but I've been really fortunate to be able to kind of leave the courtroom and come into the healthcare space. I think it just was luck, of course, working hard, but then also having some really great relationships in healthcare. I transitioned from practicing in a law firm, and my first nonprofit job was in healthcare at a Rush affiliated nonprofit at that time called the Metropolitan Chicago Breast Cancer Task Force. Went off to do some other things, and then ultimately ended up coming back to Rush due to relationships that I had built at the task force. So don't try this at home, folks, and there's no like linear <laughs> roadmap for it. Super interesting. Thank you for that, Darlene. So the concept of anchor institution is not new and has gained significant attention in recent years. And for those who are not familiar with this anchor framework, can you tell us what it is and also share a bit Russia's journey? Sure. So our journey really began with a data point. We started to do our community health needs assessment in 2016 and saw that there were significant differences in life expectancy on the west side of Chicago, which is where Rush is located. So at that time, there was a 16-year gap in life expectancy between Chicago's downtown loop area and one of our west side communities. And that caused us to change our mission, change the way that we implemented community programs, changed the way we thought about improving health. Um, And we really wanted to figure out as the largest private employer on the west side of Chicago, what could we do to get at that? And that was the life expectancy gap. And so the first thing that we started 
to do was an anchor mission strategy. And that meant looking at how our economic power could be used to positively impact communities. And so anchor mission recognizes that you have some organizations that are anchored in their communities and have been anchored there for a long time. Russia's been on the West side for 180 years. And so our anchor mission strategy had five pillars. One was to hire local and develop talent. Uh, The second was to buy locally. The third was to do social impact investing locally. And then the fourth was to volunteer locally. So since 2016, we've been focused on those pillars, again, like using our economic power to invest more intentionally in the West Side. That sounds amazing. I'm familiar with the first three strategies that you just mentioned around the anchor mission, which is to hire locally, buy locally, and also look at social impact investment. Volunteering locally is different. Can you say a bit more about that? Sure. So a lot of organizations have volunteering in different ways. They may partner with other community-based organizations. For us, we saw it as a part of Anchor because our power is not just in money, bringing those kind of resources. We have people power. We have over 10,000 employees. And so how do you marshal the power of those amazing folks to also help improve health communities? And so volunteering locally became a pillar and a way for us to Um, Let folks know about the amazing assets and folks that are on the West Side, um, but then also let people in the communities know that Rush cared, you know, and and wanted to kind of roll up our sleeves and partner with them. And so um, that became a part of our anchor mission strategy. That sounds great. And uh, we'll be borrowing that idea at UCSF as well, Darlene. Can you, you've done this for how long? Five, six years, Darlene? Tell us what some of the lessons learned along the way are and keeping in mind some of the impact that you've achieved and benefits the community has already that is able to enjoy. And also we want to hear about challenges because this work is not easy. No, it's not. And you were asking that question. One of the first things that came to me is the fact that we don't do this work alone. You know, it's not like we had, lots of experience in this early on. And so we had great partners like the Civic Consulting Alliance, like the Democracy Collaborative, that is like the guru of Anchor Mission to really help us think through how this could potentially work. And then we had local partners, World Business Chicago and Case helped us with data collection. So none of this work is done in a vacuum. And I think none of it is done without having a strategy around it. So um, if I could talk about like key learnings and best practices is a couple of things. One is to be really clear in your strategy, like what is it that you're trying to do? Two, making sure that you have metrics in place. How are you measuring success and holding yourself accountable? Like it's key, you know, making sure that you have those metrics. And then three, I would say having dedicated staff to help you roll the workout. Everybody then the hospital setting is super busy. We all have full-time jobs doing a variety of things. We can't just layer on something else, especially when it's something new that you're trying to lift up. And so it was really important for us to have dedicated program manager staff and HR staff in place to help us move the work. So Darlene, researchers interested in social determinants of health make up a large portion of the siren community. Can you share some insights as to where you would like them to spend their time to build the evidence base? 
And I think that that's a really interesting question because in my head, there's a continuum of health equity work and anchor mission, you know, is part of it. And what's tied to it, to the social determinants of health is the economic piece, like people having high quality jobs and, you know, like support for a small business, like that kind of stuff. But when I think of social determinants of health, just on a health equity scale, I'm thinking more about, are we screening folks for those things when they come into our hospital? And then what resources and referral opportunities are we providing to them for that? And if it comes up that people are food insecure or lack quality jobs, then that's when Anchor can come in as a a way to address those needs, whether it's the volunteer component and providing food sources for people or whether it's providing opportunities for people to get well-paying jobs. But they're not one and the same. They're not synonymous. Like they're, to me, on the spectrum of what health equity can be and look like at an institution. I know you've been focusing a lot of your time and attention around racial equity as part of your anchor responsibility. Tell us a bit how you're approaching diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism in your work. Yeah, I think that's a great question. As we were rolling out the anchor mission strategy, we were also developing a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy of a five-year plan. And part of that was looking at anchor mission and being intentional about who Rush was partnering with. And so we had a couple of pillars that overlap with anchor mission and DEI. And those were our focus on small businesses and bringing businesses of color into the supply chain for Rush. The second was a focus on our hiring initiatives and being really intentional about hiring people of color from the West Side into roles within Rush. And then the last pillar that overlapped the DEI and anchor base was in um, how we are connecting with young people from a STEM healthcare career standpoint and making sure that we were reaching out to kids of color in the surrounding West Side neighborhoods to get them on a path to employment within Rush or just overall within healthcare. So those are the the overlap or the way that the two strategies connected. But even aside from that, we also lifted up a racial justice action committee that looks more internally at the way that Rush does some of its work, almost like a DEI 2.0 strategy. Like what's the next level to get to real internal cultural change when it comes to equity and inclusion? And so that's work that we've done in like the last almost two years now. That's great. Eager to to hear more as you embark on this work and, and continue on a journey. Deep cultural system change is is hard work. It's and, hard. Yeah. 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 We're looking forward to learning more. If we're both invited to this coffee uh, next time. Mary Raps asks, what can we do as partners to encourage slash activate our health system leader to address equity and root causes of social determinants of health? And, you know, I started the conversation by saying that a data point opened our eyes, the 16-year life expectancy gap. I think you need to start with the data. What are the differences in health outcomes that you're seeing with your patients that are coming into your institution? What are the differences in health outcomes for the surrounding neighborhoods? Like our work stemmed from our community health needs assessment seeing differences in life expectancy, seeing differences in chronic disease rates. So that data just became undeniable and framing it and doing storytelling around it in a way that would 
charge people to want to do something about it. And so that's what I would say is start there and provide that information to leadership. And now talking about health equity and the social determinants of health, it's everywhere. Like people are talking about these things significantly a lot. And it's almost like if you're not, if your institution isn't, it's somewhat of a missed opportunity if you're really in the business of providing health and wellness to the people that you serve. Absolutely. How have you measured health equity and how have your measures changed over time? Especially when you you started by saying you want to address a 16-year gap. That is quite ambitious. Yeah, it is. There are a couple of different ways that we're looking at metrics. One, for Anchor Mission alone, each of the pillars that I mentioned, there are annual goals for them. So we have hiring goals. We have goals around our our career pathways work. We have goals around our purchasing and our social impact investing and volunteering. And so we set those goals in partnership with our business units and we have quarterly meetings checking in to make sure that we're meeting the things that we said we were going to do. But then when it comes to life expectancy, Anchor Mission alone can't get at life expectancy. You know, it's it's a, a component of it, but One institution doing anchor mission work is wonderful, but that kind of lofty goal requires more people. And so that caused us to launch a larger collaborative that brought in other hospitals, community-based organizations, government, and residents. And within that, we put together a metrics framework that looks at the top five drivers of loss of life early as it tied into life expectancy. And then we kind of layer on interventions in line with those top five drivers. So we're trying to definitely be not only strategic, but data-driven in how we're moving the needle and addressing the gap. Great. The next question, I think, gets a little bit to your purview overseeing community benefits. I'm wondering if the anchor movement has addressed the issue of medical billing and collection practices. Mm, That's such a great question. I don't see that as an anchor mission issue. I see that as a community benefits issue. And it actually comes up every year that we put our community benefit report together, which my department is also responsible for. And like when we're putting those numbers together, what we've invested in anchor mission is a part of that. But we also talk about the different numbers for charity care versus, you know, other write-offs like costs for Medicaid and Medicare. But those in my mind are very different for, for, for anchor mission. And there has been some conversation um, around like what falls in what categories and how are you truly capturing um, the community benefit that an institution is investing and just making sure that those numbers are accurate and that you are accounting for the work accurately. It's a, it's a challenge. You mentioned earlier that, you know, it takes a village. So what are some challenges you have working with community-based organizations? I have such a community-based organization lens, just like based on my background. And so um, I don't know that the challenge is with the community-based organizations as it is with health, health institutions. I think that sometimes there is a disconnect between the things that folks in health institutions want to do, whether it's leadership, researchers, and the things that community needs. And the more that you can connect what the community needs with the resources and what an institution is able to do, the better. And so sometimes 
challenges arise when there's a lack of respect for the learning, understanding, and needs that are coming from community-based organizations. And we need to work on that, you know, as health institutions. And we need to work on sharing power, sharing decision-making when we're, you know, launching these lofty initiatives and really put community at the center. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to help people. You're trying to improve health in the, in the neighborhoods. And you can't do that without community-based organizations and voice and, and their leadership. Um, Darlene, there's a question around the Westside United. Sure. You have a leadership role there. Say some more about that, please. So Westside United grew out of our anchor mission work, really. So we started with what I call using what's in our hands, what rush controls. And then Westside United grew from us working with other hospitals that wanted to engage in anchor mission work. And then other community-based organizations, government, and residents, all working to improve the life expectancy outcomes on the west side of Chicago. And we've been in that space for about three years now. And so we went from having this mission of improving health outcomes, specifically with uh, life expectancy, to being clear about who the partners were going to be, this multi-sector collaborative to having like real initiatives with work groups around them and, you know, putting anchor mission at the core, but also being a convener. So that work has grown and um, it's gone from me being like one of the first staff people to now having a full staff of nine folks and looking to hire more. Great. Tell us about um, some examples of sharing power in the healthcare Mm -hmm. setting. What comes to mind for me is a couple of things. Like one, when we first were starting to think about Westside United and what that could potentially be, we went out into the community and did over 50 information and listening sessions with the community because we wanted to build this in partnership with them. And so we listened and we like put together a what we heard report and kind of paired it back what folks said to us they wanted to see as a result of this collaborative. So that was one, just really building this out based on what people told us and what they wanted to see. And then secondly, not just using community as a feedback loop, but asking folks to be leaders in the work with us. And so we have community representation at our executive leadership council level. So you've got six health institutions and then six, you know, community-based leaders and, and residents. Um, And then we have a community advisory council, and then we have work groups for each of our initiatives and community-based organizations and community residents are on those work groups. So it really is shared leadership and shared decision-making. And then quickly, one example I'll give for that is we had to do strategic planning for Westside United and, you know, community was at the table with us and they were like, no, we want you all to focus on anchor mission. We need some jobs, you know, like our small businesses need support and we want some economic development in our communities, put your resources toward that. And we're like, okay, you know, we're, we're hearing you. And so 50% of Westside United's work is in that anchor mission space. That's amazing. To do this work, you have to have the highest level of support at your institution. So can you say a few words about that? How do you establish the that level of support, the CEO level at the board level? Yeah, we've had a, a leadership shift or change since the launch of our anchor mission work. I mean, when it first started, like I mentioned with the data point and, oh, we've got to do things differently. 
through the work of Dr. Larry Goodman, who was then CEO, and our board of trustees, they made the decision to change our mission from be the best in healthcare to, to improve the health of the diverse communities we serve. They made that decision because they were looking at the data and like, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, we're, you know, been on the West Side forever. We've had all these community programs. What are we really helping? How are we really improving health? And so that leadership decision was really critical. But then over time, as Dr. Goodman retired, there was some concern. You know, we have a new person that's coming in that's going to be, it has to be looped into this work because we're investing so much in it. And I'm really excited that um, Dr. Omar Latif, who came in as CEO of Rush, has been just with us every step of the way. He kind of picked up where Dr. Goodman left off. And I think it's, again, the data and just really wanting to to make a difference in these neighborhoods. That's great. Can you say something more about the five main drivers of early death that you referenced earlier? Sure. It is cardiovascular disease, cancer, opioid addiction, maternal child health, and gun violence are the five top drivers based on the data that uh, we have for the west side of Chicago. And each of those, our metrics group has like kind of broken down how many years of life are lost based on each of those five pillars. And the, the top two are heart disease and cancer. Like those are the top two. Everybody thinks it's gun violence. It is not. It is part of the framework and pillar. It's really heart disease. Mm, interesting. We have a few questions related to community health workers. Mm. Um, can you say some more about that and the development of that in the surrounding areas of Rush? Sure. We have really expanded our community health worker well, we have a hub now, especially in the light of, of COVID-19 and the desire to get even deeper in neighborhoods with community outreach and education. And so in the last like year and a half, we have grown from having like a handful of community health workers to now having, I think we're up 30 to 35 of them. And they're doing a variety of things from being like the street team, like being out and providing information around COVID-19, around both testing and vaccination, to doing contact tracing when, you know, people are found to to have COVID-19. They have just been incredible. And one of the things I really like the most about, a couple of things about the model is like, one, um, we are hiring all of our community health workers using the same model. One team is doing the hiring. They are given professional development and training through a structured model. We have a structure where there's a lead CHW and then four to five people reporting into them. So just really trying to systematize um, the way that we work with our community health workers. And then really importantly, I think 70 percent of our community health workers are from the west side of Chicago and they are primarily African-American and Latinx because we want to make sure that we're leveraging their lived experience as they're doing outreach and education and contact tracing with communities of color around Rush. So it's going really well and we're planning for what are we, how do we leverage this hub model post COVID-19? That is so fascinating. I would love to learn more. I know Mary Jane wants to learn more. So maybe we'll find a way to share this information if you have more to share, darling. Is that okay? Sure. Fantastic. Um, so, darling, you mentioned earlier that the ankle requires dedicated staff people. 
Please talk about what departments or portions of FTs dedicated to this anchor strategy. And if you can, how many of these FTs these are? Sure. So when we first started, we had a program manager, a data analyst. We had two people in HR, which grew to four people in HR. And that is what helped us lift the work off the ground. That team has now moved under my department. So we're doing anchor at a system level. We still have program manager. We still have a data analytics person. And then there are still contacts within HR. That is all the questions we have time for. Darlene, it's been just such a wonderful learning experience for everybody, myself included. I want to express my gratitude to you for your insights. And also thank you, everybody, for attending I wanted to let you know the next Coffee and Science is in two weeks on October the 8th and will feature a conversation between Dr. Kelly Kelleher and Reverend John Edgar on community hospital collaborations to improve neighborhoods. That sounds amazing and we hope you will join us. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Siren Coffee and Science series, a project of the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network at UCSF. Raven Forest Communications does our editing and sound design. Susan Shepard designed our cover art, and Aurélien Jukla composed our music. Laura Gottlieb, Dylan Gonzalez, and Yuri Cartier, that's me, produced the podcast and the live event series. Join us for our next live event by visiting sirenetwork.ucsf.edu. Questions or comments? Email us at siren at ucsf.edu. And lastly, let it be known that the views and opinions of the participants on this podcast do not necessarily state or reflect those of the regents of the University of California, UCSF, UCSF Medical Center, or any entities or units thereof. Take care.